Hey, welcome in. Stinky Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans. Millennial Ben producing the show. Um, want to thank our presenting sponsor. Great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app. Check them out at BetRivers.com. Michael, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm, I'm wondering, where is the tension, anxiety level of Bill's mafia right now? This Oof. is the season, right? This is this is supposed to be the year. Now you got Josh Allen with this elbow issue? Yeah, not good. Where's your level of concern? Um, My level of concern is that he might miss a few games. You know, and, and it's really interesting, Mike, because I had this conversation yesterday, a reporter for, you know, the Pioneer Press or some some Minnesota paper called me yesterday, and I ended up talking to this guy for a while about, you know, people not believing in Minnesota. And, you know, 7-1, and one, but people not really giving them enough credit or whatever. Like, like uh, everything's a one-score game, and they're playing teams that aren't really good, and they're still, you know, they're under 500. Those teams are under 500, and they're still coming down to one-score games. They're always close, and uh, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, is this is this a litmus test? This Bills game versus Minnesota, is that going to be the thing that, that basically sets them apart and says, okay, the Minnesota Vikings are for real? And I'm like, not if Josh Allen doesn't play because there will always be that caveat. That there will always be that asterisk by this game if he doesn't play. And so you still don't get that, you know, you're still not going to get that kind of signature win, if you will. Because the one game you played against somebody who think uh, that everybody thinks is as good as Philadelphia, and it, although it was week two, they beat you 24-7. to It was a beatdown. And, you know, I, 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 look, at, I look at that and say, I, regardless if they play them, if, if Josh Allen plays or not, I still think the Bills are a really good football team and are going to be a challenge. But I, I will tell you, my level of concern – He's been through it before. His rookie year, he hurt his elbow, and he missed four games. I just don't know the severity. Like, if it was completely torn, like, off the bone, they own the collateral, I mean, you'd have to have surgery on it, right? It's that That's the Tommy John surgery. And then they talked about the nerve, um, you know, and there, there's a, a surgery they can do to, to put the nerve in a different groove or whatever. Like, I don't know that any of that. Right now, he's day-to-day. Right now, he's listed as, you know, day-to-day. He didn't practice on Wednesday. But I, I think that bodes well that they feel like they can rehab it and let it heal and he'll be okay. Um, and I will say this about the difference between baseball and, and football. Um, there's a whole different level of what happens to your arm throwing a baseball versus throwing a football. There's weight behind a football. There's resistance behind a football. So when you throw a football, you know, it's pressing back into your hand. There's some weight in that. And so – those elbow and shoulder things are, are are like there's not as much torque or subluxation when you throw impressive right when you throw a football because there's there's pressure or weight coming back into your hand when you throw a baseball man everything like your shoulder pops out of sock a little bit your elbow like there is so much more stress because a baseball's four to six ounces like a football's got some heft behind it. The human arm was not constructed to throw a baseball. Let's, no, let's be honest. Right, and that's why that's why you see far less arm problems with football quarterback. They right. throw until they just wear out or tire out or whatever. You know, Peyton Manning. We saw him at the end of his career not being able to throw, but that was a neck injury that created some nerve issues and everything else. Um, 
like you don't see those kind of arm problems with uh with quarterbacks. It just doesn't happen because of of that, like I said, that resistance in a football. So if he's day to day and they feel pretty confident in rehabbing him, he's gonna be okay. I, I think that's a great sign. Even if he has to miss a game or two, I think it's a great sign for Buffalo right now. Good. Bill's mafia, big sigh of relief to that. Meanwhile, Packer fans. I, I can't believe I've been hearing this. To me, it sounds preposterous, but it is out there, so let me run it by you. The idea that Aaron Rodgers could be playing for his job over the next couple of weeks? That is preposterous. Okay. That, that's that's ridiculous. Um, I, Aaron Rodgers, you look at Aaron Rodgers' skill set, and I don't think there's anything wrong with Aaron Rodgers' skill set. Here's what I think is, has happened. Having you know, done a Packers game or two, having had conversations with Aaron about kind of the way he processes things now. Um, you know, since Matt LaFleur took over there, and if you go back to Aaron's first year, it wasn't very smooth. It, and there was a lot of – there was a, a some pushback and almost kind of what we're going on – what's going on in Denver right now between, you know, Russell Wilson and, and between Nathaniel Hackett. There's a, a feeling out process, you know. There's, there's wristband gate. I'm sure we'll get into wristband gate. And there's – you know, there's Nathaniel Hackett coming out yesterday saying, hey, man, I called some plays I didn't like because Russell liked them and they ended up working out. So there's this give and take that's going on right now. That was going on in Green Bay several years ago. And if you remember the first year that LaFleur took over, uh, I know they won a lot of games. They won 13 games, but Aaron Rodgers was completing 62% of his, his stats were way down off of what they normally are. And then there came this kind of epiphany of, hey, man, trust the system. Go where the system takes you. And then on critical downs, second down, seven plus, third down, seven plus, then you go to the matchup you like the best. And that's how that the evolution of that offense kind of happened. And then, you know, you would see him, Devontae Adams, whether it was the X or whether it was in the slot as the F or whether it was the Z and the motions and everything else, you know, you knew in critical situations he was going to find Devontae Adams. And even if he was double covered, he was uncovered because Devontae Adams is that good. And they were so on the same page, Mike. Like they could read each other's minds. And Devontae Adams is, is so smart at saying, hey, man, I got this leverage. I got this. You know, I could adjust a route mid, like mid route. And Aaron would see the same thing Devontae saw. And he hasn't, he does not have that connection anymore with anybody. It just doesn't exist. And so. You know, I think that's I think that's the big issue to sit there and say, well, Aaron Rodgers, your the word you like to throw around is washed, and we need like that's not even close to being the case. There's nothing wrong with the skill set; um, it's just not working, and there's not that trust factor. He doesn't have that with with the younger players. And I will say this too, like you know, we live in such a kinder and gentler world, and if a coach yells at you, you know, there's a one eight hundred number. I think you can call in and and uh, cry on the phone to, you know, to some counselor or whatever. You know, I mean, it's it, we're softer and butter. But, um, but you know, it's serious, and we've got to be, you know, we've got to be sensitive to all that crap, and uh, I, yeah, I get it. But I really I really think that there's probably some of of Aaron Rodgers that doesn't relate well to the younger player, right? Like, you're, you're up in that guy's ass. And instead of that being a motivational thing for that guy, you know, he goes in the tank for – a quarter and a half. And I, I, I'm sure that there's some of that going on because when Aaron came in the league, you know, under Mike McCarthy, it was, it was, I'm sure it was, you know, that kind of coaching and that kind of, 
you know, that kind of stuff that was going on back in those days. So I'm, I'm sure there's a transition here that's really hard for Aaron to go, how can I be kinder and gentler and nurture these guys and pat them on the fanny and, uh, you know, and spoon feed them a little well, bit. Well, better I, I figure think, it out. Yeah, I don't think he – Because as the great Yogi Berra once said, it's getting late early around here. I don't know that you have time to figure it out. Do you? I mean, you're what? You're four and a half games behind Minnesota for yeah. the division. You're not winning the division. I mean, that would be that would be one, an epic turnaround like of biblical proportions, and an epic failure of biblical proportions for you to catch the Minnesota Vikings. And you've already your head to head matchup week one. You already beat them down. Like that's that ain't gonna that that ain't gonna happen. You mentioned wristband gate. Everything's got to have a gate. Bounty gate. Spy gate, mm-hmm. deflate gate, got to put a gate on it. So here's the background. So the other day, Pete Carroll was talking about, to the Seattle media, was talking about the play of Geno Smith, who's been outstanding. Right. And he said, quote, if you notice, Geno's going off the wristband, and that's a big help. It's smoothed things out, sped things up, cleaned things up, and that's part of it, too. We never did that before. There was resistance to that. Mm -hmm. So we didn't do that before. Clearly a shot at Russell Wilson. And Pete's been taking some not-so-thinly-veiled shots at Russ throughout the course of the season, kind of enjoying a bit of a victory lap. Well, Russ was asked about it on Wednesday and said, quote, I won a lot of games there without wearing a wristband. I didn't know winning or losing mattered if you wore a wristband or not. Wristband gate. Your take. Yeah. Well, my take is Russell's sensitive about that. And, and listen, I think Pete's been taken – like, I think Pete over the years – I mean, I, I remember doing their opening game in 2020 in Atlanta, doing Seattle's opening game. And so I'm doing some Seattle radio and, and you know, and everything is about let Russ cook, let Russ cook. Pete's holding him back. Pete's not – you know, Pete's not a good coach. And, like, Pete for years was – was taking a lot of verbal abuse locally in regards to the way he managed his football team and the way he managed Russell Wilson. And the whole narrative out there was let Russ cook. And let and, and Russ, you know, wasn't throwing Peter on the bus, but he was letting it happen. He wasn't running out there defending his, like, no, this is great, you know, blah. Like, it was, it was all part of the narrative of Seattle. And, you know, I think Pete, I think Pete, Basically, that was going on, and he just let it. He let it happen. There was nothing he could do about it. He never defended himself or whatever. Um, I, I just think that he took a lot of heat, and he took a lot of grief. And there's part of him right now that's very much like the way I'm wired, Mike. And I tell you this all the time: I'm a really good loser, but I am a terrible winner. And Pete, people in Seattle have seen the light. Oh, maybe. Maybe Pete's management of the football team and Pete not letting Russ cook the way he wanted to and Pete making Russ play under center and Pete demanding that they run the ball and Pete demanding, you know, that they do these things. Maybe he knew better than all of us. And so I think there's I think there's part of him that is not so much intentionally trying to throw Russ under the bus. He's just like, all right, let me speak my truth now. And if hey if if Russell gets a little you know offended by my that, that that's tough because this is the truth according to the way I saw this thing play out, and 
ultimately, you know, you look at the way Geno Smith's playing right now and the way the way the Broncos and Russell Wilson are playing right now, and certainly Pete's opinion has a lot of merit. So when it <clears throat> excuse me, so when it comes to the Russell Wilson trade, we just came off election Tuesday, so I'm gonna say yeah. with only eight weeks of the precincts reporting, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. are you already to, ready to project Seattle as the clear cut winner in the Russell Wilson trade? Um, no, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it certainly is trending that way. Um, but there's still nine precincts left to be tallied, right? Right. So there's still some time. I I will say this. I think a lot of people are waiting for the, the other shoe to drop in regards to Geno Smith. Like, okay, at what point does Geno Smith actually become Geno Smith? Oh, so you think there's still a chance the clock strikes midnight for him? I don't. But I think there's still a lot of people that think that way. But you don't. I don't. I think the the way they're playing the game right now, the way they are running the football, the way they are taking the pressure off their quarterback, the way they're you know the way they're just operating, um, and the efficiency with which he's playing, I like they're a really good team. You know, all the things that were question marks were answered. Hey man, we're gonna start with two rookie tackles. That can't be good. Oh, guess what? It's actually. It's actually been really good. These guys have played really well. Well, how do you support two rookie tackles? Do you let your quarterback cook or do you stay balanced? Do you give them an opportunity to to get involved in the run game and then the play-action game where they can actually change sets and they can be the aggressors and they can do those things? Like, they've done that. Kenneth Walker, a rookie running back, has been tremendous, absolutely tremendous. So, you know, you got three rookies starting on the offensive side of the ball. Um and because they run it with efficiency, because they run their play action stuff, because like they're getting production out of guys, they're getting great production out of you know tight ends that really were never used efficiently in in the offense when Russell was there. Um, so there's a lot of things. There's a lot of real positive things. They got three rookies on the defensive side of the ball that are starting that are all playing exceptionally well. I just don't see them getting away from the formula. And I think that's why, you know, that's why it works. Now, I, I will say this about wristband gate. You know, Russ can say I don't like it for whatever reason, but he did wear one in in London when they played Jacksonville a week ago. And when you start to look at the operation, how the operation, the play-calling operation goes with a new coach trying to figure out his way, everything else, like early in this season, the play operation to the point where the the Broncos fans were counting down the play clock at home every time the play clock got underneath 15 seconds. Like they were like they were letting you know their displeasure for all the delay of game penalties and all the procedural penalties and all those things. So there is there is the reason the wristband would make a different in the difference in those critical situations. I'm not saying in the field, and it's not you don't have the the entirety of the playbook on your wrist, but you have critical situations. You have your red zone situations, your hurry up situations, you know your two minute situations, all those things where the the pace of the game speeds up a little bit, and you're thinking about, hey man, we've got two plays in my head. I want to get, and to where you don't have to say the the entirety of the play. Yeah, while we're while, while people are listening to this, let's. Give me a a your basic play call. Give me a play call. Yeah. All right. So I'm the quarterback. I got the play caller in my head. Right. And this play call comes in. I listen to it. 
and then I got to turn around and spit it out right. to the guys in the huddle. Give me an example. So you would go something like uh, fly to trips right option. Uh, excuse me, fly to trips right nasty. Z short. H left outside. Two jet branch. Buffalo, on two on two, and then you could can it with you know can it can it with, um, can it with eighteen handoff outside. Boom, and that would be the entirety of the play call. So you know again, it, fly to trips right nasty. Z short. H left outside. X branch. Buffalo, that's that's one play right there. That right, would be one play. One play. Jeez. Right? And <laughs> then you can that with a run play, 18 handoff outside, whatever. So that's coming in from the coach. Right. And then you got to turn around and, and spit it back out. You got to spit it back out. God. Why the clock is running down and why you're in a critical situation where you, you're losing time. So with a plate, with a wristband, right. literally the coach can say two. Right, two, two. And then you get in, and you open it up, and you go two, and you say, "Hey, fly to trips, yeah, right, right, right. You just you, said. You, right? You just said. Why wouldn't you do it? Right. And so why? It only affects you in certain situations. So if if I can if I can eliminate what the coach and the coach is thinking about, okay, now we're in, we're we've just crossed the let's say we've just crossed the forty, and it's and we got a minute and thirty seven seconds left with one timeout, right? And we decide we're in, we're in two down ter- or we're in four down territory. So I want to call two plays now. So now I'm thinking as a coach, I spit out the first play, but I've got another play in my in my arsenal that I want to go. And I say, hey, hey, hurry up here, here we're gonna go, we're gonna go two. Then we're gonna go if we don't get it on third down and six. If we only get three yards when we're running two, then go to four. And so now all you have to remember is I got two, then I got four, instead of remembering all that other stuff. And that's where that's where the wristband really helps the operation. And by the way, if I can save those five or six seconds, you're walking up the huddle, and there's twenty seconds left. You break the huddle. I got five seconds to. Hey, make sure you. Hey, hey, you know what? Hey, we got this. We got this quarters. Look, watch out. They're going to be in quarters. You know, throw it here or whatever. Watch this. Like, are they? Were they in a? They're in a post. They're going to be in a post high. You know, they're going to play one robber. Here comes that. Here comes that robber down. So take the one on one advantage, but make sure you eyeball the safety. Hold the safety. Like you can talk about that instead of going. Like you've saved yourself five seconds to give an alert. I'm not saying you're going to talk the whole thing out, but you just give an alert. Fascinating stuff. Talk about peek behind the curtain. For for a fan, that, that's I, awesome. I apologize. I'm not great at, at play calling because no, I didn't that... listen to all that. I. You know, you I only listen for one thing. Well, no, I actually listen for a couple of things. As an offensive lineman, I want to know, and I don't think very many teams, I've talked to a lot of teams, like nobody does this anymore. But I knew based on route combinations, so I want to hear route combinations. I want to hear protection, two jet. That's turn weak. It's a weak turn, right? So if you're on the front side of that, on the strong side, you're going to be in one-on-one matchups or you're going to be in a dual read concept if you're a bubble guy, right? But on the backside, you're going to slide that. So two jet means center, two jet would be center, left guard, left tackle, has a triangle of three guys, you know, D tackle, D end, and weak side linebacker. 
unless you want to slide by the weak side linebacker to a support player, free safety or a corner coming off the slot if you're in a slot formation. So now all of a sudden I can say, hey, based on body language, let's cheat this protection by the weak side linebacker and take it to the, or the nickel guy and take it to the, the corner or whatever. Like we can change that up based upon what we're getting. So you want to listen to for that. The other thing I want to listen to is the route combination. So the three-step drops are called three-step drops. Like it, it would be 200 jet would be a three-step drop, mm-hmm. right? So you call them based on, or we go, the, if you're in 70, 76, 77 protection, it'd be 376, 377. But what's so, interesting is that you're laying out the quarterback has to know that whole long play right. that you called out. Right. But the guys in the huddle Listen for their listening for a specific for a specific part of that, part of that yes. right? And then they can tune so out the rest. The other thing, <laughs> yeah. The other thing I would know is anytime I get a, anytime I get something like a deep over, like a deep over, I know is a seven step drop with a hitch. So now I know I've got to. I can't be aggressive in my pass set. I've got to be. I've got to be careful. I've got to protect my. I've got to protect my interests and protect my quarterback that way. But if I get if I get all go, all go is a five-step drop, but it's a five-step drop without a hitch. So now I can teach, I can treat all go like it's a three-step drop, and I can be the aggressor. So one of the things when I consult for teams, I always talk about, hey, man, let's take the passive out of pass protection. Teach your guys when they can be aggressive. when the, And that's where running the ball, Mike, that's when being under center, that's when all that stuff is so freaking important. Like I watch, I watch like, I, I did an Arizona game the other day. I would literally fight that head coach. You'd fight Cliff Kingsbury. Well, I, w- I mean, not physically like beat him up, but we would. Yeah, you threaten him. Well, we would have, <laughs> we'd have conversation. We'd have a very intense conversation about how bad, like what a bad position you put me in all the time. First off, everything's out of shotgun. So one thing that nobody talks about this, but you know what shotgun, what shotgun takes away from you, the advantage of snap count. I mean, do you, do you, does it not look like a freaking clown show every time the quarterback is stomping his foot and then clapping his hands and the left guard's looking between his legs and then <laughs> and then he looks between his legs and then he gets his head up and he taps the center on the ass and the center bobs his head three <laughs> times and then he snaps the ball? Do you understand, how one, how stupid you look? It does look stupid. And two, you can't create tempo with snap count. The, the only advantage I have as an offensive lineman is snap count. And we don't ever get to use it because we're in shotgun 100% of the time. Do you know what it's like to have a tank play called? You have a tank, like, we're just going to run this thing regardless of the look we get, which is important. That, to me, is important. It's establishing our physicality. We're not going to be perfect every time. But we are going to come off the ball, and we're going to try to punish you. And all of a sudden, you're like, hey, man, these guys are – these guys are trying to time up snap counts or whatever. Or, hey, you know what? We can give them some eye candy pre-snap. And then then as they're trying to shift their motion or they're trying to change strengths, we go quick count. So all of a sudden we walk up the ball and the guy goes, he walks up to the right hand, he lines up the right hand side, and all of a sudden he shifts across. And the quarterback gets on his hand and goes, hey! And you just take off, right? And they're trying to shift and bam, you hit them right in the teeth and they're not ready and they're scrambling. You can't do that in shotgun. You can't. It is. It is. 
It, it drives me Stink, I know it drives crazy. me crazy. It but, drives me crazy. But, but the football fan in me watches football every Sunday, and clearly NFL teams don't have the feelings of the offensive linemen in their mind because we no. continue to see everybody right. in shotgun. So when you talk about coaching, you talk about coaching, and you, can, you, you certainly shared with all of us the complexity of it. As a head coach, you, you, can, you can divest – yourself of some of that complexity and leave it mm-hmm. obviously to somebody else. But as the head coach, you're responsible for creating an identity, how we how we're going to do things and and also the game management that we mm-hmm. here in Denver saw can be a real handful to the point where you got to go hire somebody to be right. the eyes upstairs. I bring all that up as Jeff Saturday right gets ready to become a head coach for the first time. Yeah. I I, I think a lot of this has to do with establishing the culture. I think a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, Jim Irsay, their owner, um, harkens back to the glory days of Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning's not going to come coach my football team, but Jeff Saturday was there for the, you know, for a 13-year run. Uh, he finished his last year in, in Green Bay, but he's there for a 13-year run, had an incredible, you know, he's an incredible character man, um, incredible family man, and he knows football, and he understands what wins, and he's been around Hall of Fame players, and he was a, you know, five, six-time Pro Bowler and all that kind of stuff. So this this guy knows it. He's a smart dude. And I think part of today's game, Mike, is we get so many owners that hire, you know, coordinators that are hot coordinators, right? And those guys don't want to give up play-calling duty because that's how they got where they are, right? They say, oh, I love the matchup and the chess match that goes on and this, that, and the other. And most of those guys aren't very good game managers. I take you back to Pete Carroll, kind of where we started this conversation. Pete Carroll was a DB's coach, became a D coordinator, became a head coach with the Jets and the Patriots, and then he went and built a dynasty at USC, and then he's one of the rare coaches that came out of college to create a, a program in the pros that really has been has been one of the, the, the programs that everybody envies. And I think the thing about Pete Carroll is Pete Carroll is a grand poobah of all things culture in Seattle. Like, I've done a bunch of games in Seattle. You walk into the Seattle Seahawks building. Now, he's not coaching the defense. He is delegating that authority to his defense coordinator, whoever that may be, and he's built some great ones from Dan Quinn to Gus Bradley, you know, to, to you know, you name it, Ken Norton. He's got a new one this year. And then he gives his offensive play caller that authority as well. And Pete is establishing culture. Pete is establishing what he wants that organization to be. And, of course, he interjects both offensively and defensively of what he wants. But the bottom line, that dude has created a, an organization where it's all about the competition. Mike, you can't go into Seattle and into that locker room or into that facility. They are competing when it comes to eating lunch. Who eats lunch the best? Like, there's an award for that. Like I'm not I'm not even kidding you. I everything everything is a competition. There's always a game going on, a hundred percent of the time, and that's Pete Carroll and that's the the environment that he has established. And you can't tell me that Jeff Saturday can't go in and establish that kind of culture. Like you cannot tell me he can't. Now I don't know is he going to be good? Is he, I don't know. I I have no idea. But I know this about him: he is dedicated, he is smart, and he knows what wins and what doesn't win. Well, it's certainly something that the whole NFL world is going to be looking at because if he comes in and is successful, this could change entirely right. what you look for in a head coach. Sure. It, it'll no longer – it might no longer be the X's and O's guy. It might just be 
the face right. of the franchise, the culture builder, hey, the how, identity how, builder. Let me ask you this. How good has John Harbaugh been? Now, he was a special teams coach when he got hired as the head coach. How good has he been? Builds the culture, directs the football team, delegates the authority. And he's just, I mean, that dude is just larger and in charge. And I, I tell you what, the Baltimore Ravens have been through quarterback changes, have been through, you know, system changes, have been through uh, co- coordinator changes, all that stuff. Guess what? You know who, who keeps rising to the top? John Harbaugh. Going to be fascinating to watch. It really, it really will. It'll be, and uh, you know, I, I, I hope for nothing but the best for for Jeff because he's a good buddy of mine. But uh, I'm excited for him, man. We'll see exactly how that goes on. All right, listen for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth podcast. For Mike, I am Mark Millennial Ben producing the show. Want to thank our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Also, check us out at stinkinggood.com for all your green chili and queso dip needs. Check it out. We ship uh, every week. So uh, anyhow, check that out as well. All right. For Mike, I am Mark. Have a great, great rest of your week.